as weird and as funny as it might sound, I even after I, you know, the attempted suicide and spending three weeks in a psychiatric clinic, I still didn't think there was much wrong with me. I was still yeah. in the first stage of denial, and I just thought, you know, I left there. I was like, yeah, I've learned some new things. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to do my mindfulness, and I'm on meds now, and I'm going to exercise more, and I'm going to, you know, alter my drinking habits. And I just, I was just, you know, just making sort of. Making changes actually helped deal with the symptoms. I was, it wasn't actually addressing the core of my issues. And that yeah. is sort of, you know, based around self-worth and self-compassion and, and self-empathy and love for myself. So. You be okay. G'day, guys, and welcome to Dreams Into Success. I'm your host, Chris Goodrope, and each episode, we bring you an inspiring story or message that will encourage you to face your fears and live your dreams. Before we get started today, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors here at Dreams Into Success, Robert Oatley Wines and Rode Microphones. And don't forget to visit my website, chrisgoodrope.com. Follow this podcast on Instagram at Dreams Into Success and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Dreams Into Success if you want to watch the episodes. Or if you prefer to listen, you can find me at Apple iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss an episode. This is episode number nine with former AFL footballer and now a strong advocate for mental health, Brock McLean. Today I'm fortunate enough to be joined by a former AFL footballer who played 156 games across two clubs, Melbourne and Carlton Footy Club. A highly talented junior, this man made the All-Australian under-18 side and was taken at pick number five in the 2003 National Draft. It all seemed to be the perfect start to a 15-year career looked ominous as he quickly established himself as a respected and leading midfielder in the competition. However, what the public didn't know and didn't see was the mental health battle, the drug and alcohol abuse, and the diagnosis of of bipolar disease. This man is living proof that even sports stars have their battles, and it's an absolute credit to the man he has turned out to be. Please welcome the great man, Rocky McLean. How are you, buddy? Mate, I'm, uh, I'm absolutely <laughs> blushing at the moment, Chris. Thanks for that intro, mate. Much appreciated. Mate, that's all right, mate. That's all right. I've got to give my guests a pump up first, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I hey, uh, the questions will come later. Yeah, mate, I'm sure they will. But, uh, mate, thanks for, thanks for jumping on. I know we've only had a couple of chats over the phone so far and... Um, Mate, I feel like I've already sort of got to know you already, mate. <laughs> yeah. mate it must be the uh, mate, it must be our age, mate. The mid eighties, I think. I was born in the mid eighties, so it must be the same era, mate. <laughs> we grew up just, just good blokes. Just connection, mate. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and our mutual friend Luke, who we both know yeah. each other through. Yeah, same thing. I met him in Mykonos in 2007, and we're still mates 13 years later. Just know, a random mate. Aussie that I met yeah. in Greece. So, <laughs> it must be just that era, mate. As you said, very friendly people. Has to be. Has to be, mate. <laughs> and I'm from Melbourne too, mate. I reckon most Melbourneians are good blokes too. <laughs> yeah, well, I reckon you're probably uh, you're probably struggling a bit up in Sydney, given uh, how clicky and. Uh, how sort of snobbish it is up there compared to sort of Melbourne. A lot friendlier down there. It's completely different. It's completely different up here. I mean, look, obviously a lot of nice people up here, but um, but yeah, it's uh, not not so much the same as Melbourne, mate. We can just bump yeah, in and okay. there's no one. But, mate, come uh, back anytime. We'll have you. We'll have you back. <laughs> well, mate, if the border's open, I might get back. <laughs> <laughs> actually stay there. We're still in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. I'm better off up here. Hey, um, mate, have you had a chance to reflect on your AFL career? I mean, you, you played 157 games. Games. And, I, and I looked it up today, mate, only 9% of 
footy players reach that milestone. Um, and then once you get to 200, I think it goes down to 4.45%. So, I mean, have you had a chance to look back? Obviously, you didn't probably reach the ultimate, which is what you wanted, you know, like a premiership or anything like that. But, mate, a great career, great career when you look back on it. Yeah, look, I have, it's, only, it's only been recently um, that I sort of started to look back on my career with, um, you know, with, with good memories and a, and, a, and a huge sense of pride. My biggest struggles sort of throughout my footy career and a, and a, a big part of my mental health uh, struggles has been around, you know, my self-worth, you know, struggling, you know, attaching my self-worth to things that I do rather just having, you know, uh, intrinsic sort of self-worth regardless of what I did. Um, and sort of when I was playing, you know, a big part of my upbringing was always focusing on the negative, you know, never being content, never being happy, always, you know, there's always something to work on. And I guess that's the way I looked at my footy career and looked at myself is that, you know, I tended to focus on what I didn't achieve or what I didn't do. You know, I didn't play in a premiership or, um, you know, I only played finals in, in a, in a few years. So I tended to focus on that, not, you know, and not look at, you know, the amazing efforts was one to get drafted and two to play nearly 160 games and, and even play in finals. You yeah. know what I mean? So no, exactly it's, only, it's only been sort of recently that I've been able to, you know, the, the work that I've put in into myself and into my, my uh, you know, my self-worth and my self-compassion and getting better mentally. Mm. Only after that have I been able to look back on my career with a sense of pride and, and real achievement. Yeah, well, mate, yeah. I mean, look, you hear it a lot. Like, you hear AFL players say, you know, even just to play one game is what, this is what they're after, you know. And, um, you know, obviously, once you get the one game, you get the taste of the second, third, fourth. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. keeps going, like you said. But, uh, but yeah, mate, no, it's, it's a great insight. And I think, I think you might have said it publicly before as well. You seem to you, – you really enjoyed your time as a player. Obviously, like, you, mate, you worked extremely hard. You're, you're one of the best trainers on the track. You know, you, you played your guts out, you know, on on the field every single weekend. Um, but you also, you, you enjoyed the off-field side of it as well too, didn't you? Like, you yeah. know, you probably played hard off off as well. Um, yeah, is that something, is that fairly accurate as well? Or Yeah, yeah. Look, I so I grew up in an old, a very old school type of family. So we're, it's in our blood, we're very all or nothing. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, when it came to training and when it came to footy, when he stepped out on the field and he stepped out on the training track, when he stepped into the gym, you're a hundred percent. You were sort of balls to the wall, yeah. and I applied the same philosophy to my drinking um, as well. You know, the, the old saying, "One's too many and a hundred's not enough." You know, <laughs> I could never, I could never just have a quiet drink. I'd always have to just get you know absolutely right off. Or, um, but sort of as my mental health got worse as well and in particular when I finished up playing footy because I had such low self-worth because I was really good at partying really good at drinking really good at doing drugs I attached my self-worth to that so that became an avenue for me to actually feel good about myself because when I was partying with people you know I I, you know seemed to be the life of the party or people seemed to enjoy um, you know being around me I was always shouting drinks and you know buying drugs and doing all this stuff so I was quite popular in that scene as yeah. well. So that became my avenue of self-worth. So it was yeah. just this really destructive cycle of, well, I'm feeling low, I'm feeling unloved, I'm feeling worthy. Let's let's go and party. Let's go and feel loved and feel worthy again. But then on the flip side of that, after two or three days of no sleep and partying, um, you're just in an absolute wreck. So it just became this vicious cycle that you just that I couldn't really escape. Yeah, well, and that was during the season as well? Like those- yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, looking back now, 
it, it's no sort of coincidence that when my drug and alcohol abuse really started to increase and become sort of troublesome, that was when, you know, my mental health really just started to deteriorate. And so, and sometimes because you're so consumed in yourself and, you know, you're so involved with what you're doing that you, you can't actually take a step back and actually see yeah. what's going on. And not knowing, you know, back in sort of the mid-2000s, mental health still wasn't really spoken about quite a lot, um, you know, even in, in particular in footy circles and um, even more so in, in, in the circles of men, you know, well, mate, still you're very seen, much. You're seen weak, weren't you, to speak up? Exactly, exactly. And again, going back to my, the old school type of family, like we grew up and it was just, you know, sort of bred into us that, you know, you do not whinge no matter what's going on in your life, how, however big or small the problem is, you just push through it and you got on with things. And that's all well and good when, uh, you know, it's something, you know, like an injury or, you know, something that you can just sort of get over quite quickly. But when you're talking about something as, as troublesome and problematic as, as mental health issues, then yeah. that's not the right attitude to have. And it's just making things worse. And you're just kicking the can down the road. Mate, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, it obviously was a, it's almost like a short-term fix, wasn't it, the alcohol and, and the drugs? They made you feel good, what, I suppose, on the weekend after you played the game or whatever, and then, you know, you had that high, and then you've gone back in, and I don't know how, what your week was like leading up to the next game, but what did you, did you feel down during the week, or did you enjoy being back at the club, or... How did that? How did yeah, that yeah. Look, it's a um, look. It's it, it, it can be a uh, a vicious cycle. Um, I mean, you know, you would go out and sort of party on the weekend, and and when you first start using these sort of avenues to help cope with mental health problems, actually work quite briefly, mm. um, or albeit quite briefly, but because they've worked, um, you know, that handful of times or, you know, 10 times or 15 times, what it is, you attach yourself to those behaviours. Yeah. So, and it just became, you know, you, you, you've heard the saying, old habits, old habits die hard. That's, that's true. exactly true when it comes to that. So, um, so as it got worse and worse, like, um, you know, you, you would go out on the weekend and then Monday you would feel rough and Tuesday you would feel a bit better. But then by Wednesday and Thursday, you're back to normal. You're sort of up yeah. and about. And then the sort of cycle, um, you know, would would start again. Just in so time, was, captain's uh, run, mate, and goal kicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But you know, it, it was the attitude that you that I, you know, you'd rock up on a Monday and you'd train hard and you'd sweat it out. You'd, yeah. You, you did all that type of stuff, and then you know, by the time the weekend comes around, you're, you're sort of ready to party again. Where did you go? Did well, you, you know, you're, re- you're you're ready to sort of escape. You yeah. Know, your, your, yeah. Your, your mental state. Absolutely. Did you ever test positive, Rocky, or? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I um, tested positive, I think it was back in maybe 2012, um, I think. It was the uh, it was a mid-season break. So I think yep. we had from, you know, Friday to Tuesday off. So I basically went out from Friday to Tuesday. So <laughs> sort of, I, you know, rocked up to do, um, rocked up to training and the drug testers were there and, um, you know, when I got a call from the doc a month later, he was like, do you remember what you were taking? He was like, to be honest, mate, I could have been taking everything and anything um, yeah. that weekend because it was just, you know, I was, you know, my mental health had really deteriorated to that sort of point. So I was just, any chance I got to escape and, um, you know, to try and run away from my problems, you know, yeah. I just ran to alcohol and drugs. Yeah, well, did did it, did it stop? Like once you had that te- positive test, did that stop you in the end or, or you sort of not it, really? Look, it, it probably did for the first couple of weeks. Um, but uh, whenever I got on the drink, 
the drink always led to drugs. It wasn't the other way around. Did it? So yeah, okay. Whenever, you got it, whenever I got on alcohol, um, uh, you know, anyone who understands alcohol knows how much it affects your decision-making processes. Mm. You don't weigh up sort of risk versus reward. Um, and when you're that, you're sort of that unwell and you're in that sort of mindset, your consequences don't really matter or you don't think about consequences. No. Like those, those are an afterthought. Yeah. So, you know, for maybe the first two weeks, you know, I was, I sort of stayed sober, but, you know, if you're not actually getting on top of your mental health problems, you know, they're, they're going to pop back up sooner rather, you know, sooner or later. So, you know, old habits two weeks later, up. I was, yeah, old habits again. And I, you know, I found myself really struggling and, um, so yeah, I, um, I escaped to what was familiar and that was, uh, alcohol, which, you know, which led to drug abuse. Yeah. Did, did, mate, did it affect, um, and I'm sure it did, did it affect going through that stage in your life, your relationships with the people around you, you know, so you, you, your family, your loved ones, your, your teammates even as well, or did that yeah, have well, us? Look, not so, I, I, by this stage, I was a very, very, very good actor. I was very good at hiding. <laughs> That's, but, um, you know, there would be, there would be times where I would go, you know, a couple of days without answering my phone or replying to texts or, you know, just wanting to be my own. Mm. Um, and the beauty of, of that for me at the time was, you know, I, I had footy to use as the excuse. You know, I was like, oh, you know, training's been really hard. I'm just really tired at the moment. I sort of can't be bothered doing yeah. anything. But, you know, you, you look back now and understanding mental health as well as I do now. Um, and knowing what the symptoms are and what to look out for, it was clear that I was just isolating myself. And, you know, that's a that's a um, you know one of the, the most common sort of things when you're looking at mental health people with mental health issues. Mm, mate, it was probably a cry out for help at that stage, then, wasn't it? You know, really, without as you said, now that you know a little bit more about it and looking back, it's probably something that. And look, mate, as I said at the start, you're a nice same age, and mate, this mental health thing. It's only really come to the floor last two, three, five years. Even or, or, I feel, you know, like it wasn't really yep. spoken about back then when we were growing up, was it? Yep. No, it, it certainly wasn't spoken about when we were growing up, and even sort of the you know early to middle parts of my career, it wasn't really spoken about. But you know, the really, I guess, the good thing and the progress that we've made in the last sort of you know five to, to ten years is that. You know, a lot more guys are coming out and t- talking about it and a lot of like current footballers and former footballers. And I think that message is really important because I remember, you know, telling people um, early on when I had my initial diagnosis of depression and their response was, oh, you know, what have you got to be depressed about? And I'm just like, you know, that's not how depression works. It's not nah. how mental health works. And I think, you know, it's, it's never nice to see someone you know, struggling with mental health issues or get a diagnosis of depression. But I think it goes a long way in helping to explain to the public that mental health doesn't discriminate. No. Now, it doesn't matter if, you know, James Packer, he's had his struggles with mental health, you know, mm-hmm. one of the richest men in Australia. Yeah. So there blows, you know, the, the, the theory out the door that, that money buys happiness or, you know, that all rich people are happy. Yeah. You know, so it's the same with, with footballers as well, you know. We, we are part of the statistics. Um, yeah. And the statistics say that I think that one in five or one in six struggle with mental health issues. Yeah, mate, it's true. It's true. Mate, you, you were delisted at the end of 2014, um, which probably came as a bit of a surprise, really, because you had, mate, you had a pretty good year, really, and, and particularly your last game. I think um, looking at the stats, you had 30, 30 potties, and even 
you even got some Brownlow votes as well, as well in your two, last game. Two Brownlow votes, mate. So I just keep saying you're only, you're only as good as your last game. So <laughs> if I played another 50, I would have got two Brownlow votes every game. Right? Yeah, exactly, given. mate. Exactly. I'll, I'll take my hat on that one. <laughs> but do you, do you remember where? Do you remember how, how it happened? Because like, it must have been yeah. really quick. And, and how did you react to, to it when it all happened? Yeah, look, it was, um, you know, I remember early on in the year, I was probably struggling for a bit of form. I probably wasn't in the best of headspace. And I went, I actually spoke to the club about, you know, I just, you know, I was having second thoughts about my footy career and that type of stuff. I spoke to Mick Moldhouse, I spoke to a couple of the assistant coaches and I went away and just had a couple of weeks in the twos and sort of, you know, rejuvenated myself and sort of found the passion for footy again. And I think I really finished off the year well. And then, mm. you know, I spoke to, you know, the, we, you have your exit meeting at the end of the year and I spoke to Mick and I spoke to the, the coaches and they were like, yeah, we're really keen to have you back. And, um, you know, the, the, the young guys look up to you and, we, you know, you, you've effort around. He's been fantastic. So go away on your holiday and come back. There'll be a contract waiting for you. That so was all promising. Was over, yeah. yeah. So I was overseas and then my manager got in contact with me and said, listen, mate, I'm really worried. The club, um, you know, the club haven't got to me with an offer yet. You know, this is a bit concerning. Jump on the phone to Andy McKay. And I rang Andy McKay and um, we had a bit of a, uh, you know, a pretty sort of stern chat. And, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, you know, they were coming from the angle that they got a lot of play, more players in through the trade period than they, uh, you know, than they were expecting or than they were planning for. Um, so they sort of used that in his excuse. But look, to be honest, I think, you know, it probably wasn't a secret to anyone by then just how out of control my drug and alcohol abuse was. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that had a big, a big say in it. Yeah. Um, not that, not, not that anyone spoke to me about that. So I can certainly understand, you know, from, from the point of view of trying to build a culture around professionalism and, you know, not wanting your, your older and more senior players to be sort of leading the way um, yeah. in that regard. And, you know, that they didn't know about my mental health issues at the time. No one did. So, yeah. So I can certainly understand it from that perspective. But, you know, it was just disappointing, I guess. And, uh, you know, not everyone gets to have the fairy tale ending. I understand that. But, you know, it would have been nice to have another year. But, you know, I don't regret anything. And, you know, everything in my life has happened for a reason. It's brought me to where I am now. And I'm, 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 proud, of, I'm proud of where I'm standing now. I'm proud of the journey that I've come through. And I guess finishing up early from footy allowed me to, you know, to, to address my issues a lot earlier on. So, you know, if I had applied for another two or three years right now i'd probably be two or three years behind the eight ball in terms of my mental health issues so you yeah. sort of got to look at it from that perspective as well that's a great way to look at it mate and a good positive way to look at it too i suppose you know because you're right you know you could have been you know starting the process a lot lot later you know and wouldn't yeah. be where you are now you know so yeah. but i'm sure did you have any fears like what were your fears when you left what knowing that you weren't going to be playing afl footy and, and getting a good sort of salary again the following look, I didn't look I didn't have any fears um, I I was I'd studied probably the last couple of years um, while I was playing because sort of 2010 2011 was when I had those really lean years I was injured a lot yeah coming into 2012 I had one year in my contract and I actually thought that was going to be my last year so I started planning for life after footy then right so that was something that sort of held me in good stead. Um, so I, I was confident that I could enter into the real world and, you know, step into a, a job and, and do okay. I did a couple of uh, 
uh, internships while I was playing, one with PwC and one with a company called Lincoln in finance. So I'd had a bit of a taste of the real world right. on my day off. But the thing that caught me by surprise was, and that I wasn't aware of at the time, was my self-worth. Mm. I didn't I didn't realise I had such low self-worth and self-worth issues because my self-worth was always high because it was attached to football. Yeah. And I was doing I was doing something that you couldn't you couldn't go any further up the ladder. The yeah. AFL was the pinnacle of what you could do. So yeah. when I went when I went into the real world and started a job, I was starting at the very bottom. So I attached my I, ta- I attached my self worth to that. Yeah. So I thought I was a you know a bottom feeder, you know, just and I put all this unnecessary and um, unrealistic pressure on myself to climb the corporate ladder as quickly as possible, and it was just you know it was just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, mate, I can imagine, and obviously growing up in Melbourne, it, like, AFL is mate. It's you you grow up with a Footy in your hand, don't you? And every, every, yeah. everyone loves it. It's a little bit different here in Sydney. You can sort of walk down the streets and, you know, if you're playing, get away with it. But mate, as you said, it was playing footy in Melbourne every single week. You're, you're at the highest point where you could actually feel. And then, yeah, that's, I think that happens with a lot of players. Once they finish, they feel yeah. as though, you know, they probably you know, should be the CEO or should be the senior manager, which, which I get as well. I understand that because you've, you've, you talk about your self-worth. You know, it's just yeah. been, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably something that's been really hard for a lot of players to, to take, isn't it? Yeah, and I, yeah, it's, and I don't think a lot of the, the public truly understand that. And, that, you know, and I, and I was guilty of it as well. I just thought the transition would be easy. But, you know, there's issues around self-identity. There's issues around sort of self-worth. Mm. There's issues around you've been doing something for so, you know, so long. Uh, of your life. Like it, it's, it's this, your, your AFL career started 10 years before you got drafted, like when you yeah. had those dreams of the kid and then you were playing sort of rep footy as a teenager. And so, and you understood footy like the back of your hand, like it was, mm. it was an identity. Like, and that was the thing with me. I had a, 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 um, one of the sort of my, my best features was my brain, my footy brain. I just understand footy really well. And anytime something new was explained to me, I just, I, you know, I understood it immediately. It. Whereas, when you go, you learn something new. And when I was, you know, sort of studying um, commerce, it wasn't, my learning curve was so much steeper. And that became a real, um, I guess, point of um, anxiety. And like, you know, it became a real sort of stressful thing. It was like, wow, if I don't understand this, or if I don't pick this up as quickly as possible, yeah. I'm not going to get a good job. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to end up, you know, Shacking selves at Woolworths, or yeah. you know, whatever it is whatever whatever the negative self talk was at the time. So it's um it's a difficult time, you know, for footballers when they finish up because yeah. you know they've yeah, done something for so football. long. Yeah. Oh look, yeah, look. The, the darkest I got was when um so sort of 2016 and 17, I was putting so much pressure on myself to to succeed and and rise the corporate ladder as quickly as possible. So I was studying full time, I was working full time. I mean, I was sort of working 50, 60 hours a week and studying sort of 20 or 30 hours a week. I was playing footy on top of that. So I had all these demands. I mean, like these unfair demands, um, which I was able to sort of balance out okay. But sort of 18 months into it, it was August 23rd, 2017. I think I had three or four assignments due at uni that week. I had um, three massive reports that I needed to get done for work that week. And I sat down on a Sunday night and... I went to start an assignment and I was just like, I can't, I just, I honestly, I can't do this anymore. And that was the night I attempted suicide. Wow. So, um, 
So the next thing you know, I just remember being at home that night and then the next thing you know, I was in um, St. Vincent's ICU where I spent sort of the best part of a week. Um, and I was just very, very fortunate that, you know, um, I was found when I was found by my partner. Um, and, you know, luckily enough, uh, yeah, I was able to get some help in time because, it, yeah, I think, um, you know, understanding you know, sort of my breathing patterns at the time, what sort of the paramedics and doctors said to me that they said, yeah, you weren't sort of far off from, you know, sort of not being here. So very fortunate. But yeah, that's when it sort of, you know, it was one of my sort of darkest periods. Mate, no that's doubt. a great insight and a, a real credit for you to get through it because, mate, I, I, and mate, I get it as well because you seem like you're given to everyone else, you know, given so much to your, to your family, your partner, your friends, everyone else, to, you, to your work that you probably weren't, you talk about your self-worth and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You probably weren't given enough to yourself to realise oh. that, that, you know, what well, I'm bloody doing a good job here, you know. Yeah. And, and it's just one, of the, um, one of the first things my psychiatrist told me about, I was always, always been a very giving person and, you know, uh, helping out, you know, friends and family, but, you know, neglecting myself. Yeah. So one of the one of the things my, my psychiatrist first said to me when I was in a, a psychiatric clinic he was, you know, you've got to treat yourself like, you know, that message on the aeroplane about when the mask dropped down, like, you know, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first I'm before first. you can help everyone else. Mm. So that was a really good analogy for me going forward that, you know, there's only so many, you know, you can't keep helping people if you're not in a good space to sort of help someone. No. Oh, so it became, uh, and look, it became this real sort of internal battle in my head of like, oh, am I being selfish, you know, by, by sort of focusing on myself? But it's not. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be able to help someone to the best of your ability either if you're not in, your, in the best position you possibly can be. Exactly, mate. Exactly. So, so, uh, and so my next question was how, how did you get yourself to that next point and taking those next steps and, 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 and slowly building yourself back up again? It was seeing a, seeing a therapist or psychologist, was it, or...? Yeah, so and look, it's it's not sort of one or two things. Like it's been a massive holistic approach, and it's taken just time. Yeah, like a lot of time. Like I've been seeing uh, my psychologist every week for the best for over yeah, three and a half years now. Um, I've had two stints in a psychiatric clinic um, here in Melbourne. There's been a lot of you know sort of learning processes along the way about you know sort of you know there was you know mindfulness and medication, and then actually getting the right. Uh, mental health diagnosis. I was initially diagnosed with depression. Um, it wasn't until about 18 months ago that I got diagnosed with bipolar and was on different meds. So that made a, right. a huge difference. So it just became a huge learning curve for me and, and learning to be patient and setting realistic goals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the last piece of the puzzle for me was, you know, giving up the alcohol. So uh, right. I got to towards the end of last year, I think it was August, um, and I'd been overseas for a mate's wedding. And it was effectively like a week-long bender. There were a lot of guys that I hadn't seen in, you know, sort of five years. And we were in Barbados. So it was yeah. like, oh, no, let's, <laughs> oh, mate, we're let's on. bring it on. And I remember <laughs> coming home. I was at the airport and I was coming home and I was just I was just a shell of a man. Yeah. And I was like, nah, let's just have a break from alcohol for a while. Let's see how you go. And mm. I got about a month into it and I was like, oh, I'm absolutely loving this. Yeah. Um, and then I read a book about alcohol and I learned the truth about alcohol and the effect it has on the brain and, you know, how dangerous it is. It's the most dangerous drug in the world. You know, more yeah. people die from alcohol than illicit drugs and prescription drugs combined. Really? You know, mm. so, so I understand, you know, learning the truth about alcohol and, um, you know, from there I sort of haven't looked back. And that was the last, real last piece of the puzzle for me because I've made, you know, some good changes, you know, up until then. But, yeah. you know, it was just sort of a step-by-step -step thing. 
um, you know, early on, my my approach was I expected to get better within you know sort of two or three months, Quick and it just wasn't realistic. Yeah. wasn't realistic, and I was setting myself up for failure. So once I learned to be more patient and set myself realistic goals, that's when the healing really started to begin. Yeah, right. Was it hard to accept that 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 you were in that? Were you at that stage, or you're at that point? Was it hard to accept with yourself that that shit I'm going through? Uh, like it's almost like you can sometimes ignore that. I think, oh no, I'll be fine, or I'll be, you know, it's not really, I'm not really going through this, you know. But did it? Yeah, was it hard yeah, to? Yeah. As, as 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 weird and as funny as it might sound, I even after I, you know, the, the attempted suicide and spending three weeks in a psychiatric clinic, I still didn't think there was much wrong with me. I was still yeah. in a fair stage of denial, and I just thought, you know, I left there. I was like, yeah, I've learned some new things. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to do my mindfulness and I'm on meds now and I'm going to exercise more and I'm going to, you know, alter my drinking habits. And I just, I was just, you know, just making sort of, making changes actually helped deal with the symptoms. I was, it wasn't actually addressing the core of my issues. And that yeah. was sort of, you know, based around self-worth and self-compassion and, and self-empathy and love for myself. So, um, you know, that didn't really happen until probably 18 months later. Um, yeah. yeah, so a lesson for anyone that if you don't actually address the core of your issues, then you're just going to be in this sort of cycle of, you know, feeling a little bit better, but then going back to, you know, feeling worse. Yeah. Well, mate, that's a, that's a nice little lead on because I was, at, I was obviously just going to bring up, um, Tucky, you know, Shane Tuck, who unfortunately, you know, the tragic passing of him last, last week, I think it was, um, yeah. you know, it, it, what what can what what and you sort of start to answer that then what what can people do out there how how do, how do they get help mate like a, um what's the first step they can do to to help you know become Look, better the, 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 the hardest thing is especially for you know friends and family who are sort of watching someone struggle is someone's not going to get better unless they're actually ready to start getting help and i guess that was when you know the big part of my recovery came in was when i learned to accept what was going on and that I was unwell and that I was ready to get help. So, you know, you've, you've heard this, the old saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. It's very much the same as, as mental health. So, I mean, the first step is probably just, you know, talking to someone um, mm. and understanding that it's not a sign of weakness. It's an, actually a sign of strength to put yourself in a really vulnerable position and reach out to someone and say, listen, I'm struggling. Um, and I and I need help. So I guess that's sort of the first step. And you know, I guess everyone's different. Everyone's um, recovery is going to look different. Um, everyone's going, you know, everyone's going to have their own sort of little quirks and idiosyncrasies, and, you know, with their mental health battles. But um, you know, from there, I think the, the, probably the the most important thing in the recovery process is finding a psychologist that you actually connect with, and that you actually understand, and that you actually you know respect and appreciate and and get along with really well. That's probably the most important thing um, in in the recovery process. Yeah. Wow. Mate, I couldn't agree with that anymore, actually. Um, but um, and so was that the turning point for you, like finding that, um, obviously realizing what stage you're at, and then and then finding that right psychologist or therapist, as you said, and then and then help. I mean, look, they don't sort of always give you the answers, do they? But they help you take, give you the steps and the strategies to to improve. So yeah, I've had the same psychologist and the same psychiatrist for you know for since I started started getting help. So that's that I've always been really lucky in that regard. But um, you know, my as I said before, my real recovery came when I actually started to accept that I was really unwell and started to accept that I needed to make 
more drastic changes and actually more and and focus more um, on the uh, on the core of my issues, as I said before, you know, around self worth and self compassion. But you know, getting back to sort of the importance of the relationship with your psychologist, you know, some of the books that I've read recently it states how you know, like just how imperative is it is it is because part of you or part of your psychologist will actually be instilled into you after two or three years of therapy. And I've actually seen that um, it's through our limbic through our limbic brain. So we connect mm. limbically. So and I've actually seen that myself with my really? psychologist. I'm a lot more sort of measured now and a bit more balanced. Um, and I don't react straight away. I can sort of sit there and and think about things a bit more analytically rather than responding emotionally. So, yep. um, so again, that underscores or underlines the importance of your psychologist because part, you know, the parts or qualities of your psychologist will actually be transferred to you if you stick at it long enough. Mate, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. Does, do you, I mean, a lot of people talk about, do you embrace like the meditation or the mindfulness side or do, has that yep. helped you a lot as well in terms of... Yep. That's been that's been huge for me, especially now because early on it was a real struggle and it was very foreign. Yeah, and you know, being being a football or being a sports person, you know, you if something isn't working, your tendency is to work harder yeah. or just to try and push through it. And that's the, not the idea of of mindfulness. So once I sort of learnt, you know, that the concepts and really learnt to, um, you know, sort of practice. Um, in the appropriate and sort of correct way, it's become a real source of calming for me, and a real, you know, source of actually just you know being in the in the in the present moment and being mindful. And um, you know, I, I really I find it so helpful and so useful now that I'm when I'm going through really challenging periods or really challenging moments that I can just take a step back, sit down, meditate for five or ten minutes or even a couple of minutes, and yeah. it just brings me sort of back to the present moment. And it's just it's such a, a simple concept, but it's so powerful yeah. because, you know, in its essence, you know, you, if you're sitting there and you're, you're stressing about, you know, things in the future or that doesn't change, you know, your problems further down the line. No. But allowing yourself just to be in the moment, just, you know, it just relieves that sort of mental anxiety and that mental stress. Yeah. And it just allows you to see things in the moment for what they are. Yeah, mate, that's, again, another great point because I can relate to that myself. Like, you're growing up and, you, you, you know, I was quite good at sport as well and, and you, you sort of have that bravo sort of attitude and then, you know, to think that I'm sitting down doing some meditation, what, what are people thinking yeah. of me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're thinking, geez, who's looking at me? But I think yeah, you're well, right. I, you know, I grew up when, and I heard of mindfulness and meditation and, you know, without understanding, I was just very dismissive of it and very yeah. opinionated. I was like, ah, oh, it's crock of shit you know that's the sort of airy fairies and yogis but yeah you know i could have recommended highly highly enough to sort of anyone who's thinking about getting into it yeah. um as just a really really simple but effective way of dealing with sort of stresses and anxieties and you know sort of mental health issues as yeah. well no absolutely mate and i've tried to um i tried to look you up mate but you looks like you've deleted all forms of social media <laughs> oh, <laughs> i don't know if you've seen it but on your wikipedia there's this guy called brock mclean and it's this this little kid's instagram <laughs> accounts <laughs> I, I couldn't find that i couldn't find yeah, anywhere mate so you must be off the yeah. socials i got off social i deleted social media probably maybe five years ago five or six years ago it was the best thing i ever did mate really? just I just, yeah, look, I found that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it. You know, I was getting to the point where a lot of people were just sort of whinging and, and you know, sharing too much information on social media. I think it's just become, you know, one of the great 
causes of issues, you know, with, yeah. with today's sort of, you know, generation. And if anything, social media has made us less social. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm really glad I'm not at it now, you know, considering what we're going through in terms of COVID and, you yeah. know, I, I, you know, I hear a couple of mates and, you know, my partner sort of explains to me some of her friends and what they're talking about. It's like, God, I'm so glad I'm just detached from all that, you know, sort of bullshit because a lot yeah. of it just is negative and, you know, I think it's create. You know, it, social media has the power to do so. You know, have so much positive effect. But on the flip side, it can cause so many issues. And I think it is causing a lot of issues with sort of the youth of today and you know, sort of today's generation. And absolutely. And obviously, um, again, like you and I, as I grew up, same age. Same. We didn't get Facebook until after school. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't yeah. until we're, you were playing probably first year footy, and I was a. Yeah. I was at uni and that's when yeah. buddy Facebook and all that come out. So we were probably used to it. So, so what do you do then? Like I know a lot of people, you know, even if we're watching the footy on a Friday night, you'll still sit there and flick through your Instagram or, or look, what, what do you do? What, what's your Mate, I, um, I, through, uh, I'm, I probably spend most of my time on my Comsec app. If I'm, uh, if, <laughs> you're a, tra- if you're a the, trading master if, now, if right? I'm on the phone, no, I'm not a trading master, mate. But yeah, that's what I sort of got into post footy finance. I was an analyst for a couple of years, then I got into corporate advisory, and you know, last year I sort of I needed to quit that sort of that industry because it was just yeah. too mentally stressful for me. So I'm on the tools at the moment, but yeah, eventually I'll get back into um, get back into finance at some stage. It's something that I love doing and something that I'm really passionate about. But um, you know, I think for what's important for me right now is during lockdown that I need to be outside and I need yeah. to be, you know, sort of, you know, out and about. Um, I think, you know, I'd really struggle if I was sort of working from a home office Yeah. because, uh, you know, just just being in lockdown is not very conducive for sort of people no. with mental health issues. No, exactly. So you've, you've deleted your social media and you, when did you say you, you don't drink alcohol anymore either? No? Yeah, I, I gave up alcohol last year and, and off sort of social media and, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a vegan as well, mate. So if, if you oh, if you said that to someone, if you explained that to someone, this is the guy you're meeting. He doesn't drink. He's a vegan, and he's not on social media. You'd probably think I was the most boring person in the world. You know, <laughs> probably more akin to a, a librarian than a sort of a former. Mate, absolutely, yeah, not a not national footballer for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm the type of guy, you know, who's got, I'm naturally got a lot of energy, and I'm a, I'm a big kid at heart. And, you know, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sort of uh, pretty sort of. Uh, loose and just up and about you know without alcohol so it's, it's something that i don't really need to yeah <laughs> yeah no good mate good hey um mate you um you obviously don't run out in front of eighty thousand fans anymore um well i suppose no one does, no one does these days so what brings you happiness today brocky um and, and what do you most look forward to look mate it's it's honestly it's the simple things one of the uh, you know getting back to my sort of psychiatrist he got me to write down sort of ten 10 things that are my natural antidepressants, you know, so the beach, the music, hanging out with friends, hanging out with my dogs, you know, those types of things. So I really derive a lot of pleasure from the simple things now, just actually really hanging out with mates and, you know, having in-depth discussions and, um, you know, I I, I love traveling, but I unfortunately can't do any of that at the moment. Um, Love the country, like love going down to... um, uh, to Tarwin, which is sort of down Gibson Way, sort of east in Victoria, and spending a bit of time down there with with my mother-in-law. And um, so, yeah, it's it's amazing now, mate. That you know, if you had said to me ten years ago that in ten years' time you'll be meditating and you'll be, you'll sort of like you know being up in the country and um, you <laughs> like having in-depth discussions and and sort of reading full-on books, 
um, I would have said you're crazy, but you know, that's where I'm at now. I love reading and I love documentaries and um, just anything that can sort of better me. And, you know, um, if I can become, you know, uh, more understanding of a certain topic or if I'm just, you know, just evolving into a better person, I guess that's become a bit of a mantra to me, just evolving into the, to the best person I can be. So that's just, you know, sort of the, the main focus for me now. Yeah, mate, that's great. Constant improvement. That, yeah, that's awesome. Hey, mate, you mentioned, um, did you, do you still catch up with any of your mates from footy at all or you sort of... Um... Look, we, we I stay in touch with a few. Um, uh, uh, we've got a, a WhatsApp group, um, a big WhatsApp group with all the um, past players from the Melbourne Footy Club. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so a lot of the guys, you know, Balls Grinters on there and, and David Neitz and, and Ooze and Robbo and yep. uh, Andrew Lee and Charlie. So that's, we, um, we stay in touch regularly in that regard. And we also have a running group on a Saturday. It's like a, you know, a very sort of informal, non-compulsory, just rock up at the 10 at 6.30 if you want to go for a run, do a couple of laps and have some brekkie afterwards. So still in touch with those boys quite regularly. And, that's know, great. Every day there's always a bit of banter going around on the, <laughs> on the WhatsApp group. So that's really helpful in, in this time of lockdown. Um, and there are a couple of guys that I sort of speak to quite regularly at Carlton. So Simon White, who I, um, who I've worked, who I worked with for, you know, for a year or two in the finance world and, uh, Mark Murphy's probably someone that I chat to every now and again, and, and Gibbsy just a few texts. So it's um it's a bit like sort of leaving you know that first time you leave high school. Yeah. That, you know you probably don't see each other as much as you'd like to, you know, because you're not with each other every day. But you know when you can have a chat, when you can you catch up and yeah, and reminisce about old times. And you know it's just it's nice to see. You know, a lot of if you know if your former teammates are still playing, it's just you know you just want to see them do well. Yeah, exactly. Do you still watch the footy as well, Rocky? Or mate, I haven't been watching it this year. Really? At all? Yeah, it's weird. Well, we don't get channel Channel Seven's the only station we don't get it where I'm currently living. <laughs> um, I'm in Brunswick at the moment. Channel Seven's the only station that doesn't work. So we don't wow. have, we don't have Foxtel either, so okay. we can't go any we can't go anywhere to watch the footy because we're in lockdown. So yeah, right. I guess we're m- moving to Armadale on Thursday, so hopefully Channel Seven um, will be working there because I, I, sometimes I do like to have it on in the background. I don't sort of you know intensely watch it, but um, watch it. yeah. It's it's I'm probably just at a different stage of my life now where sort of footy's a bit more of a you know a, a past thing and it's it's not to yeah. say that it, you know I'm you know it's it's gone and forgotten and it's it's not a part of my life anymore it's a part of a a past life but as I spoke about before my evolution has just got me into different things now and yeah um but yeah I'll always I'll always have an interest in footy you know I've I've been playing local footy for the past five years so it's That's still good. fun to play it's still really fun to play. Yeah. Um, and I love being around footy clubs, and I love being part of a you know a, a footy club because you know just it's just fun, you yeah. know, especially at local footy too. Like those first couple of years where you could have a beer after the game, you know, you'd sit around the changes after a game. There'd be a slab in the middle, and you'd have a dart, <laughs> and you'd be having a couple of cans, and you know you'd go into the bar afterwards and have a few more drinks. So yeah. it was uh, it was so much fun from that perspective. So I've sort of missed that aspect of my social life this year but you know i'll definitely be playing again next year considering the body's actually feeling really good oh good to hear mate no great to hear hey mate i won't keep you too much longer final couple of questions for you you've been bloody awesome mate uh mate i ask this to everyone so three three life lessons or pieces of advice that you'd pass on to anyone wanting to follow their dreams so i assume that when you were growing up your dream was to player for yeah. footy and, and obviously that'll change like you said it changes over time but yeah, yeah. 
three three life lessons or pieces of advice you'd pass yeah. on? I guess um, one thing that I was really lucky with my family was growing up was we, we was you know sort of bred into us to never worry about what anyone else thinks of you. Just worry about you know your family and friends. Their opinion's the only one that matters. So number one, forget what the world thinks about you. Forget what everyone else says about you. Just worry about you know the people in your inner circle and yourself. Like so, just forget them. Um, oh, another couple. Um, I guess, you know, when you are in pursuit of a dream, um, you know, I guess don't look at don't look at failure as failure. Like, look at it as the fact that actually you're willing to put yourself out on a limb and you're actually willing to chase your dream um, and that just, you know, rejection is just redirection. Mm. So that was something that I've certainly learned one. along the way. And there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of the dreams that they don't have the courage or, you know, they're too scared of failure. Um, to follow so don't be scared of failure yeah um and i guess just three just you know um one thing that i've really learned in my mental health journey is just stick with things that that make you happy and hang out with people that make you happy and just get rid of all the bullshit in your life or you know just if there's anyone who's negative or you know constantly brings you down then just sort of get rid of them you just find you'll find you'll find out how much better your life is without the negativity and you know the, the toxic influences because it's just uh they can be just a real source of of negativity yeah mate that's three great messages you're that's that's outstanding mate hey brocky i just want to acknowledge you mate um you know for for jumping on being being brave and um speaking up and, and also being a voice in the community mate and and, and obviously seeking help for yourself and, and mate you're doing great things now and it's, it's not easy, that first step. I know, I know a lot of people talk about it. So, mate, I think you're doing a bloody amazing job. Um, I know it's a you know, it's continuous improvement, like you said, but, um, mate, you just seem like you're in a really good headspace now, and, um, which is awesome to see. And, uh, and mate, uh, you should be proud of yourself. So, mate, and even just for coming on today, mate, we hardly even knew each other, but, uh, but you said yes straight away. I've, I'll, I have to give Luke a, <laughs> Luke a five, five, five for that one. Well. But, uh, but, mate, yeah, I really think, you know, actually, in fact, I know, you know, hopefully, you know, your story will really help um, inspire others as well, mate, to, to you know, seek help and, and, and know that you can, you can get through it, you know. So, mate, yeah, well done. It's a, it's a real credit to you. Yeah, cheers, Goody. Thanks for that. Yeah, if, if anyone is listening... Um, who is struggling or has mental health like I know that I've been through it there are days where you just feel absolutely hopeless um, and you think that you know you're not going to get any better or there isn't light at the end, at the end of the tunnel like there is if you just if you're willing to sort of stick at it and be sort of gentle on yourself and just you know you sort of go about it in the right way and exercise you know self-care and compassion and, and empathy um you know and it just takes time like it took me a good three years to actually start getting better after 15 years of ne- sort of neglecting myself so yeah um you know if, if you can get on top of it earlier like the earlier you seek help the easier it will be uh, rather than just sort of kicking the can down the road but and as you know we spoke about earlier it's not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength to put your hand up and say i'm struggling and to reach out and and particularly that message needs to be drilled into sort of the males out there because there still is this common misconception that it's a sign of weakness to ask for help when it's not, yeah. especially if you're a male. No, I couldn't agree more, mate. It's still that stigma out there, isn't there? Hey, mate, final question for you for today. What's, yeah, your, what's your definition of success? Oh, 
<laughs> Definition of success. Um, I guess it's just being sort of true to yourself. Um, and whether you sort of, you know, are, you're successful in the, you know, the pursuit of your goal, I think is irrelevant. I think it's, you know, the actual fact that you've, you've had the courage and that you, you've been willing to sort of put yourself in a vulnerable position to actually achieve your dream. That's the real successful part for me. Mate, I love it. I love it. I usually give you a high five now, mate, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a fist pump or something. <laughs> hey, Brocky, thanks again, mate. Really, really appreciate it. And as I said, I usually give, I'm sponsored by Robert Oatley Wine, so I usually give a wine. But um, yeah, <laughs> mate, give it to give it to Luke or give it to yourself. Actually, I'll re-gift it. You can have it. Yeah, I'll re-gift it to you, mate. So uh, enjoy. You're a legend. I'll have one for you. Yeah, good on you, mate. Good on you, Brocky. I really appreciate it, mate. And um, we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Good on you, mate. See ya. See you, mate. Bye. Bye, buddy. There you go, guys. Brock McLean. Gee, I really enjoyed that episode. It was a great chat and um, a really good reminder that mental health can affect anyone. It doesn't matter how successful you are in whatever you do. Um, you know, people have their challenges and, it, and it's not weak to speak up. It's uh, it's actually a sign of strength, as, as Brock said. and. You know, there was a couple of other really important things that he said there too was, you know, never worry about what other people think of you. Um, don't be scared of failure and, and, and be around people who, who make you happy. Uh, a couple of great messages there. And just a reminder, if, if you are going through some mental health battles or you're feeling down or anything like that at the moment, please make sure you talk to someone. Have a chat to a mate. Talk to someone that you feel comfortable with and it, it will make you feel better. And if there's not someone that you can talk to in terms of a close friend or a, or a mate or anyone like that, make sure you do reach out to Lifeline Australia, which is 131114 or even Beyond Blue, 1300 224636. Uh, get out there guys look after yourselves and, and thanks so much for uh, tuning in today and just a reminder guys if you enjoyed this episode today please share it with your friends tag me on Instagram and subscribe to Apple iTunes and Spotify accounts so you don't miss an episode until next time you guys know what to do get out there face those fears and live those dreams you'll be okay.